0: Welcome to Between Two Chairs, demystifying commercial real estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencivia Jr. and Jennifer Woolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone.
1: Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, between two chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us.
2: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Between Two Chairs with my co host, Fernando Aaron Sebia Jr. I'm Jennifer Woolman, and I'm super excited. I've been driving our poor guest crazy over the last couple of weeks, texting her with my excitement. But we are interviewing Beth Azor today, um, also known as the Canvassing Queen. She's the founder and owner of Azor Advisory Services, a commercial real estate advisory and investment firm here in South Florida. She's a mom, owns and manages shopping centers, is a developer, content creator, author, networker extraordinaire, and my favorite part is she's a teacher at heart. She is one of the most open and giving people that I know of her time, of her knowledge, She's full of energy and ideas, and I couldn't think of anybody better to start our December series with, since we're going to be talking all about giving um, for December. So welcome, Beth. It's awesome to have you here and to see you. We're,
0: We're so excited.
1: We certainly are. Thank
0: you, Jennifer and Fernando. I'm so excited to be here, and I love, love the theme of giving. Love it. So, and congratulations on the podcast. You guys are doing great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was pretty
2: exciting to, to jump into this and find out we were one of the top five in South Florida. So that was, that was pretty Woo! awesome. Absolutely.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and thank you for all you do. I mean, you're, you're everywhere. You always say it's, um, it's not necessarily who, you know, it's who knows you. And I think, I, I feel like everybody should know you. <laughs> Right. Um, But uh, let's just get started real quick with the South Florida Independent Retailers Award, because that was last month. And um, we're not going to give away who the winner was since that's covered in our previous episode. But I want to get an idea of some background on how you came up with this idea and why.
0: Sure. So thank you for that. So I love helping independent retailers achieve their American dream. Right. And that's why I got into retail leasing to begin with. Uh, someone said, Hey, you can lease space in shopping centers and help mom and pop tenants achieve their American dream. I said, Where do I sign up for that? So uh, that's, you know, something way bigger than all of us. So I started in retail leasing 38 years ago. And ICSC came to me, which is the International Council of Shopping Centers, about six years ago. And they said, we really want to get more local independent retailers and mom and pops involved in ICSE. Why don't you do a talk or a workshop for those mom and pops at one of our conferences? I said, they're not coming to hear me. They don't even speaking of they don't even know who I am. That didn't go anywhere because really ICSE is more about the national and the franchises But it did spur an idea, and one of my friends in South Florida, Hugh Chen, who's the president of SAGLO, called me up after hearing the story and said, we should do it. And I said, we should do what? And he said, we should have an awards show for the best-in-class South Florida independent retailers. And I was like, that is amazing. I love that idea. And we started, you know, this last uh, month was our fifth annual And it's a very unique uh, opportunity for landlords and brokers and the community to come and meet, you know, and find out who is the best bagel and who is the best wings and who is the best sit down. And and it's a lot of fun. And because a lot of the nationals and regionals and franchises, exactly, Jen, what you, you had mentioned, everyone knows them and not really there's no highlight there's no place to showcase these independents and they they get to get showcased at our event and it's so much fun and i love it and i and i'm helping them achieve their american dream
1: i know i love that <laughs> that is so awesome. I love. By the way, I, I I see you as a superhero because every time that I turn on any social media, I I get glimpses of the origin story of Beth Asor, which is just amazing. But this was the fifth um, anniversary of the South Florida Independent Retailers Award. So, how has it changed from the first one? Are you seeing a difference in the type of retailer that is getting nominated, and and really, and the people that are joining in in this celebration?
0: The early years, we had a lot more retailers, fitness, but it's crazy what's happened in South Florida with retail and restaurant expansion. So I would say that this year's awards was 95% food and beverage. You know, it's it's what the people want. So we deliver what they want.
1: So so in a, in a way, if you look at the trajectory of awards, they, it kind of mimics the trends in retail that we have seen over the past five years.
0: 100%. 100%.
2: And so obviously you have a big soft spot for small businesses. So tell us some of the lessons you have learned from the small business as a landlord rep, tenant rep, owner, kind of in your different roles.
0: You know, wow, during COVID, boy, did we see passion and commitment from our mom and pops, right? I mean, they would call me crying saying, "I know my rent's 4000, I can give you 1000. I'll, I'll I'll drop it off at your house under the mat." And you know, they were loyal and and they were they were resilient they, you know, I, and I was calling them going, go do hair out in the parking lot, go, you know, go put a tent out and and do to go food. Well, what's the town or the city going to say? I don't care. I'll take care of them. Their resilience through something we had never experienced before the government shutting down our, our business. Right. So, uh, it was amazing. I have 101 tenants. I only lost one. I lost one on March, on March 28th, a foot massage woman that had been pretty successful for three years called me up and said, no one's going to want their feet touched. I'm out, you know, you know, can I get my lease is coming up? You know, I'm out. And I said, well, it's March 28th. Like, don't you want to play this out? And she goes, I see it being played out. I'm out. And, but everyone else, I didn't lose one other tenant. So the resilience of, and the creativity that they displayed. And with my help, you know, I would, you know, I'm a big reader, Jen knows. I'm reading three or four magazines or or newspapers and I'm on Clubhouse listening to what everyone's doing around the country. And anytime I would get an idea or I'd hear of someone doing something in different states around Mm -hmm. the country, I would be calling them saying, hey, you know, um, I had a, a Canesware, you know, uh tenant who I absolutely love 364 days of the year, not this week, but any other, you know, go Seminoles is our big game. But, um, so I, uh, called them and I said, you need to be the ESPN of South Florida. There we're not, there's no, no new sports content out there because everything's shut down, but you have access to coaches and players and you can, we can do um, Instagram lives. Let's get everyone to remember who you are. So when we come back, they remember and, and you provide a service and you provide content and entertainment for the South Florida community. So, so, my what my lessons I've learned over the years from tenants is their resilience, their creativity, their drive, their ambition. I mean, I have te- tenants come say. You know, they're, they're barely making it and they want to open five more locations. How, how do you not love that spirit of <laughs> entrepreneurialism? Well, and, and you're perfect for that. Isn't
2: the Canesware one that you started out as a pop up? I know he was a canvas one that you canvassed. Tell us a little bit about that, because talk about a success story from literally nothing, a vacant space that you had.
0: Oh, yeah. So so I was driving to work one day. My office, my leasing office was in the shopping center and I'm driving down University Drive where my I have four shopping centers on that street. And I see these lawn signs that say Cane's Apparel and an address. And I I know, first of all, apparel, because there's not a lot of local apparel retailers, right? They're mostly all national. So when you see a local apparel that tweaked my brain. And then I saw the address was in a warehouse area nearby, not in a retail setting. And I, and he had like 30 signs in the median of the, of the street. I said, I got to go find this guy. I love the marketing and he's apparel. So I went over and he was, it was like for appointment only or weekends only or something, but I peeked in the window and I saw 3000 square feet of Oh, you know, shoes and jackets and jerseys. And even though they were the hurricanes, I, you know, I'm an equal opportunity landlord. So I called the guy up and it's, it was August. So he was going into football season. And I said, you need to come be at my shopping center. He's like, no, I can't afford it. That's why I'm in the warehouse and I'm really busy, it's football season. I said, okay, I'm gonna call you in January. Well, typical salesperson, I forgot. Fast forward a year later, the signs go up in the median again in August. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I dropped the ball, you know, on this guy. So I called him up again. I said, I'm putting it in my calendar January 5th. We're going to have a meeting. You're coming to my shopping center. So January 5th, I'm calling, I'm calling, calling, calling. And he walks in my office one day with the La Spada subs, by the way, one of my favorite tenants. And I literally jumped over my desk because he had his cane. for like, you have to come to my shopping center. And he's like, I can't afford it. I said, I'm going to make you a deal you can't refuse. And I said, um, I'm going to show you this space. Let's just do a pop-up for next year's football season. I'll charge you 1000 a month. I said, what are you doing in sales in your warehouse? And he told me the number. I said, you're going to double that here. And he goes, well, from your mouth to God's ears. He agrees to take the space. I said, you got to take it as is. And it was kind of in bad shape. You need to pay insurance and in the utility bill until you open. And then the day you open, it's 1000 a month for the five months of football season. At the end of the football season, we'll meet and we'll decide, you know, if you're going to stay, go back to the warehouse, what, you know, what you're going to do. He more than doubled his sales during football season. So I said, OK, great. So now what we're going to do is you can stay and pay a thousand a month. But next year's football season, you're going to pay five thousand a month during those football months. He did that for a couple of years. Then I got him on a permanent lease. He was killing it. Then I moved him, which he didn't want to do. Don't move me away from Laspatas. I'm going to lose all my business. I'm like, no, you have to move. So I doubled. He he went from 1,100 square feet to 2,200 square feet. He was doing. He stayed in that space for two or three years. I just moved him right before this football season. He moved to 4,500 square feet. So. It's absolutely the American dream story from a sign on the median on in a street in the middle of my town. And what I love is I love destination tenants because they have a customer that comes from far away to your shopping center. And the campus is thirty miles away from my shopping center. So we get people he gets people from Tallahassee that shop in his store.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's so crazy, I mean, how fortuitous for him that you were tenacious and connected the dots between a sign and a warehouse in your and your retail space because imagine, you know, what his wife life would have looked like looking back and still being in a warehouse compared to now, right? So
0: and now, and now he has he has you know soccer Messi. He's got the Heat. He's got the Panthers. He's got the Dolphins. He doesn't have no any Seminoles, Seminoles yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I Different demographics. I just love how you know when if you're a tenant in one of Beth uh um, spaces, you get a business consultant as well. You know, I just love yeah. the sharing, the free sharing of ideas, and the encouragement of creativity. You do something that yeah, I,
0: Fernando, Fernando, they don't. I don't always like it when I put my <laughs> nose in it.
1: <laughs> uh, that, that's okay. That's but those that do, they excel. So you know, there's something to be said for that. But you know, the, you do something that uh, that I find so amazing. One of the one of the descriptions that Jennifer uh, brought up for you is, as a teacher. And, and I see you definitely, uh, the heart of a teacher is is definitely very, very much there. A lot of top producers and a lot of people that are successful, they have a hard time giving away what they consider secrets. You know, they, they have a hard time giving away um, sharing of the free sharing of ideas. One of the things that you do is this canvassing camp in which, you know, you teach people to get over that fear of knocking on the door, walking into a business, having that conversation. So I'm wondering if you could speak... To- a little bit about your philosophy of you know freely sharing ideas and also what are some of the lessons that you've learned from the people you are canvassing with in your boot camp
0: sure thank you so yeah I'm the canvassing queen I'm actually right now you caught me in Cleveland Ohio where I've been working on a mall that um, yeah 15% occupied mall I've met 2319 businesses that I didn't know before uh, two years ago, and we've signed 49 leases. And it's all from canvassing, going into their businesses, and also uh, social media prospecting. But, um, you know, Jennifer and Fernando, there are absolutely no secrets. (laughs) Like anyone that's holding on to something they think is a secret, you know, I I don't believe there's any secrets. And uh, at 63 years old, my goal is You know, I want everyone to be successful because I've just enjoyed life, and I want everyone to enjoy life. And if I can give them one of my biggest supposed secrets, (laughs) which it's not, and I've talked about a lot, is when you go into a business, you don't go in and ask, "Can I speak to the owner?" Like that's the biggest fallacy ever. And and that was what sales gurus talked about. You got to get to the decision maker. Well, what you're doing when you walk in and you and there's a clerk behind the desk or the gatekeeper, you're making them feel bad. Like, hey, can I speak to the owner? Well, first of all, if they are the owner, they're like, why don't you think I'm the owner? And if they're not the owner, they think, why don't you think I could be the owner? So you absolutely should never ask that question. It's a lose, lose, lose. If you respect the gatekeeper, And you treat them with respect and dignity; they will give you the owner's information ninety-nine percent of the time because they will be appreciative that you respected them. So that's probably one of the biggest secrets that I talk about all the time. And I still will; people will come to my boot camp. I will tell them this, and then I'll take them canvassing in the afternoon. I, you know, which we do in our boot camp, and then they. They literally, it comes out of their mouth, and I like have to almost like slap them. I'm going to go, What did you not hear? So, um, but yeah, when, when people canvas with me, which hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of people have canvassed, canvassed with me at this point, they, th- they, be- they can't believe how fast I am. You know, it's all a numbers game. And, you know, we're in and out because people, I say, I ask in my boot camp, What's, why, are, why do people not canvas? And one of the main reasons is they say they're afraid of rejection. I go, okay, and why would a business owner reject someone? And they say, well, because you're interrupting their what they're doing. I go, great. So what we want to do is interrupt them as fast as possible. And most entrepreneurs, when they opened their first one to achieve their American dream, they had plans for more. So when you walk in and say, I own real estate, and I would like to know if you want to expand the minute you'd say that you you don't tell them you're the cable guy, they want to talk to you. And even if they're not expanding, they know you have market data. So they want to talk to you. So we, so as long as you get it out really fast, like I don't go in and say, hi, my name is Beth. I own shopping. Like they don't care what your name is. I walk in and say, I have shopping centers. Are you interested in expanding? No. OK, bye. I'm in and out in seconds. But normally they go, you own shopping centers. Where are they? And, and they have an interest. So so the people that canvas with me go, we can't believe how fast you are. And so my goal is 30 business cards or three hours, whichever I do first. And I try to canvas once a week when I'm in South Florida and not traveling.
2: Yeah, I'm amazed that you still do it all yourself. When I told somebody that I was that we were going to be interviewing you and everything, they're like, "Wow, well, she must have a huge staff." And I said, "No, she still, she still does like most of it herself. She's still the one doing the canvassing and teaching the boot camps and knocking on the doors for her own centers." And this woman was just amazed by you. So I can't wait for her to hear your
1: (laughs) this episode.
0: I have Josie who's been with me 20 years next year. Next in 2024, we'll be our 20th year together. She started with me at the beginning. I have a property manager and I have a part-time bookkeeper. And I do have a social media part-time person that is a contracted person. But, you know, we, we consider her part of our team. That's it. I always have an intern. I have interns hanging around every summer. Usually I try to get three or four of them.
2: Right, right. No, but it's amazing with all you do. Because you would, you would think there's this mass whirlwind of team behind you, and you're very efficient.
1: I also like the concept of uh, you go into Cleveland, you're, you're, you know, and. The, the fact that you have these conversations with over 2000 businesses, how much more insight that gives you into that market, that it, it's not just the, the broad strokes that you can learn by doing some preliminary research. But now you're really talking to the people that are opening these businesses and you're starting to create a better sense, right, of the marketplace that is, you know, very unique. That's a very unique set of data that you have created for yourself. Am I right about that?
0: One hundred percent when I first came here. So what I love this, this has been the most impactful thing of my career that I've done because of the 49 businesses we've, we've signed 45 are black owned businesses and 43 are women black owned businesses. So, um, through Dan Gilbert and bedrock, they've given the entrepreneurial committee, community of Cleveland, a big leg up and I've been blessed to be part of it. But when I, when I used to teach the boot camps. Jen and Fernando. People would say when I would tell them canvassing works, and I I I would get the naysayers, and they would say, "Well, of course it works for you. You own the shopping centers. You're the decision maker. You've been in the in South Florida for 37 years. You know all the brokers. Of course you know that you know the retailers. Of course it works for you." So I'm very proud that I came to a market where I knew not one person. We did one and two year deals. So there were no tenant rep brokers calling me with their clients. And I literally had to take my system and roll it out in a market. I didn't know a soul and I was selling a 15% occupied mall. I have never even leased a mall in my life. So, so I'm very proud of our 49 leases.
2: Yeah, it shows total proof of concept outside the sphere, right outside of where you actually developed it. So that's amazing. And I know with your shopping centers, you've also been able to get into construction and development beyond just tenant improvement. So (laughs) tell us real quickly about that. I know development isn't your favorite part of it, but.
0: (laughs) I keep saying I'm never going to do it again. And 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 you do. And then I called Jen, I go, I think I found another development deal. Like, but it's painful. So um, I just, I look for opportunity and I can't help myself. You know, I was at a city council meeting, my first development ever. I was at a city council meeting, I think. 2016 and I was there for a charity that I'm involved with trying to get money from the town and they decided to outlaw strip clubs and immediately my commercial real estate brain went there's a strip club right on main and main I have to buy that property and knock it down and develop a shopping center which I did I you know at one point we kept saying we're going to do ground leases we're going to do ground leases I've never built a shopping center we're going to do ground leases but the numbers didn't play out as well for ground leases as it did for a shop center and i called my partner one day i go i don't know we can't really ignore like this is going to be way better than than the ground leases and i go but i've never done it before go, i'll help you <laughs> no <laughs> I'll help you. <laughs> so, yeah so and i was teaching speaking of in spain that summer for florida state and i'm like oh my gosh we're under construction i've never done this before we had so many ups and downs but and i and after that and it's a, a huge success it's one of the biggest financial successes of my career, but it was super painful because I kind of like, you know, you guys have probably figured this out. I like to know what I'm doing. (laughs) And I did not know what I was doing. I went through five project managers and because I wanted to hire an expert to help guide me through the process. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I keep, I keep punishing myself and I keep doing it. Uh, but, uh, maybe I'll figure it out sooner or later, but I, but it's not my joy, but I like when I, I, I don't want to ignore opportunity. Right. And I think uh,
2: to your point, you know you say you like knowing what you're doing, but you also love to learn. And and you love a challenge, which we're going to get into the challenge part a little bit later. But I think to your point, you don't like it because you don't know what you're doing, but you like it because it presents an opportunity, not just a financial one, but also to learn and challenge yourself to something totally new because you are not somebody to sit on your laurels and just relax and enjoy the fruits of your labor. (laughs) Right, that's true.
0: I love to learn. That's probably my biggest. I'm addicted to learning for yes, sure. which is an awesome trait. <laughs>
1: We always talk to people how important it is in a shopping center to really curate the experience of what you're trying to create and to make sure that there's symbiotic relationships between all parties in the shopping center. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested about what are the differences when you're dealing with a big corporation like Wawa or Starbucks, what are the nuances of developing or leasing to them versus a smaller company? Oh, it's really different
0: because you know they've got staffs of 20 and 30 and 40 lawyers and project developers and facilitators and real estate managers, you really need to do, you really need to know, be on your game when you're negotiating with them, even though they are just people, but they, you know, they can run circles around people that aren't prepared and are not sophisticated in certain things. So you have, you have to have your team also that knows what they're doing. So when I, Was negotiating. I bought an office building, a two-story office building. Knocked it down. Another development, and um, and I built a Starbucks Strip Center on the south half, and on the corner, we ended up doing a Wawa. And I had never done a Wawa deal before, so I I called all my friends and I put the word out and I said I need an attorney to represent me that has done other Wawa deals. So, um, and that's who I hired. And you know, Wawa didn't like that. They would have rather me hire you know an attorney I used to sell my house. So, but you have to, you have to bring people on the team that have experience that you don't have. So, so they're super sophisticated. On the other hand, an independent retailer or food and beverage operator is not as sophisticated, but they, they will sign things that they don't read. I don't support that. So if I think You know, if they tell me I'm going to do X amount of sales and I know that they can't afford my rent, I will tell them why I don't think I I don't sign leases to make money. It's that's that's a mistake. And you're not going to have strong projects if you do that. If and if you kind of take someone down, you know, you take advantage of someone that's unsophisticated. So I tell them they should hire lawyers. Their lawyers should not be the lawyers that sold their house. There should be lawyers that have represented commercial leases. So I teach the people I'm selling to because I want them to be around because a successful shopping center is a shopping center where you have curated people that stay and bring customers to the shopping center that gel together. You don't want a shopping center that has a bunch of people moving in and moving out because, you know, they didn't know better. They just signed leases. They didn't have representation. And now you're in lawsuits. And I, 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 when I lay my head on the pillow at night, I want to know, I did everything I can to help my tenants and my business and my partners. And I don't want to think, and there's a lot of people, a lot of landlords out there that kind of take advantage of the little guy and that just disgusts me
2: you're very into the importance of reading lease both as a landlord obviously landlord rep and tenant rep what are what are some of the strangest things because i I think that sometimes in commercial leasing people are like oh well once as a rep whether landlord rep or, or tenant rep once we find the tenant we don't really need to do much because the attorneys do it right and i'm one of those that i still read the leases even though i'm not an attorney and i don't play one on tv what is it that you have found in leases that kind of have been like either an aha moment or a no way am i signing this lease moment or
0: i mean i've seen leases where it says that the landlord can just terminate the lease for any reason at any time and mom and pops have signed it yeah (laughs) They they don't read the moment, the independent retailers don't hire representation and they sign anything. And most times it doesn't hurt them because that's not the intention of the landlord or the developer. But, you know, every any time in the history of retail real estate, when something went wrong, a clause was added to the lease. I mean, I have clients that have 80 page lease documents. You know, I try to get to five. You know, we don't need to pay the attorneys by the word, you know, so I think that's probably been the most egregious thing I've seen in a lease, you know, and it, and it's a tiny little sentence in, the, in a big paragraph, you know, don't sign that.
2: Right. The other thing that I found, and it was funny because I actually went to a restaurant and it was this great restaurant and we ordered um, a hamburger and everybody wanted a beer and they're like, oh, we we can't serve beer or wine and we were like why not and we looked at the menu and the menu was a little bit bizarre for what they were their name of their company and everything and it turns out that their neighboring tenant had exclusivity so they couldn't sell anything that was on the other restaurant's menu and they had no idea when they signed that Mm -hmm. and they were gonna be like a chicken and wing and nope they sold chicken next door they hold so they couldn't sell anything. So that was in that other person's lease. And I was like,
0: oh. oh, I've had leases where I bought a shopping center and the prior owner gave an exclusive to no alcohol whatsoever to, for a tenant, or they couldn't sell. The only other restaurant that you, that could be opened would be an ethnic restaurant or or no more than two restaurants. I mean, for sure, there's exclusives are can be really crazy.
2: Can be game killers too if you already signed the lease and your business plan is. Built on something that's totally excluded.
1: Beth, you you have a goal of uh, getting more women to invest in real estate. You're certainly a shining example of that. Tell us a little bit about the the you know the motivation behind that, and, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about the Women's Real Estate Investment Summit. But tell us a little bit about your your motivation for that.
0: Jennifer was the motivation behind that. <laughs> the, the woman sitting next to you,
1: um,
0: right, Jen?
2: I yeah, it was a conversation. We- <laughs> yeah,
0: because I was like, you know, I know people say they want to do it, but I don't think they want to do it. And she's like, you got to keep pushing. We want to do it. So I had read a stat that said of all of the commercial real estate investors in the domestic U.S., 3% were women. And I found that deplorable. And then I read further and it said that of the 3%, 50% were spouses and women who inherited so I thought okay so I I'm part of the 1.5% that that's just crazy and then so many women in the industry whether it's retail office industrial multifamily they're they they are leasing space they work for developers they represent tenants you know and they and they represent a coffee concept and they find them a location, and then they find the location to buy, and then they put this whole package together and they say, okay, developer who happens to be male, you take it and run with it. So I wanted, I started investigating, why is that? Why are you not doing it yourself? And at first they said, well, it's too much money. And I, so I kind of debunked that because you can be an LP for as low as in some situations, five grand, you know? And then I thought, well, maybe they're not investing, And then I found out, no, they're definitely investing in the stock market. i like and and then, well, it's too complicated. I'm like, do you not think the the stock market is complicated? My Netflix stock dropped eighty percent last year. I don't understand that. then they then it was fear. They were afraid. Well, what are you afraid of? So what it really, 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 really boiled down to after months and months and months of interviewing and surveying women, is they didn't see other women in their circles doing it, which then goes back to the 3%. Of course, they don't see women doing it because there aren't a lot of women doing it. So I decided with the help of people like Jen that I would put on a conference where I would put women on stage that are doing it. So women that invested in multifamily, women that invested in hospitality hotels, women that invested in self-storage, because if 200 women or 300 women can sit in an audience and hear the stories of how they raised money, how they found the deal, why did they pick that asset class? It was hard. How did they overcome obstacles? If enough women would start hearing stories of other women and start meeting women that were doing it. They would, they would feel more comfortable and start doing it. And that's what we have found. Um, our next one is our fourth annual in March in Fort Lauderdale. And, it, and I have seen probably over 50 women over the first three years that had never invested before start investing. So we're making baby steps, but I'm okay with baby steps. I, my goal is to hit 10%. By the time I turn 70, I have seven years. And I think, I think we'll be able to get there.
2: I agree. It just keeps getting better and better every year. I've been to all of them. And I think what's so amazing about what you do is a lot of these conferences are for networking and you're like, I'm. we're not going to network. You guys can network on your own. This is all about bringing you value and just drowning you in information. And You know, I invested before I met you, but I always wanted to get into different asset classes or bigger and bigger deals. Um, And I've already done a deal with some of the women from that conference. And this year I'm bringing my daughter. So because I want her to start investing and we've been talking about investing. So she's super excited.
1: By the way, I get major FOMO when I have a lot of my... Female colleagues in the industry, and they post about we it. We take
2: pictures, or like Fernando, yes.
1: and I get pictures sent to me. They're, they don't even post them in social media; they just send them to me. So I, you I, can I,
2: come, <laughs> you can come, or send There's your daughters, send your daughters.
1: There. and Desi. I, I think that would be awesome. <laughs> I think Desi and Jessica, Jessica, will be on board. Yeah, yeah. we so, love.
0: I tell them, I, I say to the women, I'm not going to teach you how to do it. Uh, that's like, that's the one area. I'm, I I don't know enough about all these other asset classes to teach the women how to do it. There's other opportunities and options for them to go learn how to do self-storage, to learn how to do hospitality. I want to inspire them to go learn about it. And I want them to bring their mothers, their sisters, their daughters and I want men to bring their daughters.
1: That would be lovely. I love that.
2: So, um, in wrapping up, I yeah. know you—we are going to put by the way the link to sign up for the Women's Investment Summit in show notes. So keep an eye out for that. And um, we know you love challenges, and you just completed a really big physical physical challenge where I was—I had no idea what a ruck was. I didn't know half the stuff, and then you're throwing out numbers like what? 900 step up? Like, who does 900 step up? (laughs) So tell us what you learned from that last physical challenge.
0: I, um, The area in my life that I want to improve the most as I get older, obviously, my goal is to dance at my son's weddings. They're young, they're 23 and 20. So uh, I was an older mom. So I want to make sure I'm the healthiest I can be. And to do that, you need to have good fitness, right? So I, and that's just not something as an entrepreneur, most entrepreneurs. Become being healthy and working out is last on our list, so it's been a big focus of mine. And and so there's a guy Jesse Itzler. For those of you that don't know, you should follow him. He's uh, his wonderful wife Sarah Blakely is the owner of of Spanx, and he does challenges all the time. And and a couple years ago he did the Calendar Club Challenge where I you know he ran it, which means you you do your thing every day of the month. So one like day 1 you run a mile, day 2 you run 2 miles. I've never run anything in my life. I'm like I cannot run this, but his 10-year-old son laser biked it. And I said, "Oh, I could bike it." So I biked 496 miles I think the August of COVID, and then I biked it again and then I swam it, the laps And so I hadn't done any, And that was the year I turned 60. So I was feeling really good. But I knew I it was time to to take the next step up. And so Jesse did an entrepreneurial boot camp where you it was fitness, nutrition, breathing and business. And my folk, my thing was I wanted to really learn about the fitness, nutrition and the breathing and the business would have been a byproduct. And so we had calls every week with our fitness trainer. And we had challenges and we had workouts we had to do. And it was an eight-week program culminating with a 24-hour event, which included a four-hour endurance challenge. And I was so scared. And and a cold plunge, by the way. And I I started doing cold showers because I'm like, I got to get ready for this cold plunge. But, yeah, so we started – the first week was 200 step ups. Now I have a trainer that I go to twice a week. And when he tells me to do 10 step ups, I roll my eyes and I whine. So the (laughs) fact that I had to do 200 week one, so 200 step ups, 14 and a half inches high or higher. And then we had to ruck. So we're on this call and they're talking about rucking and I, I, and there's 20 of us on the call participants. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. What is a ruck? I had no idea. So so now I have – the ruck is when you're carrying weight. Like in the first week, because I didn't have a ruck vest with weights, I had a backpack that I put a 10-pound 10, 10 dumbbell in. So now my girlfriend, <laughs> Natasha, who Jen knows, sent. Bought me a ruck vest and then I had already bought my I have two ruck vests now. So <laughs> so um so we had to ruck like a mile and then we got all the way up to nine miles rucking with twenty for me twenty pounds. The guys were at 40 pounds. At the end we had um our last week nine hundred step ups twice. And um and then phys- like physical fitness, like push-ups and burpees. I had never done a burpee before. And so yeah, so it was eight weeks and i was so scared that i would show up and be embarrassed that i i probably did 95% of all of the pre workouts my my peers who were mostly in it for the business stuff ne- like didn't prepare at all so like the the seventh week call they're like oh yeah we hardly we haven't done any of the step ups and i'm like oh my god like i was so proud so when we get there we had a 4 hour endurance thing where we did a thousand step-ups over, you know, four, like every 30 minutes. We um, hiked, uh, I think, seven miles with a rock. We had to do pull-ups. I did a pull-up, a couple pull-ups. And um, so, yeah, I was so proud. I was the oldest one by the, the person next younger to me was 54. And I won the award for the most. I embraced the program the most. I won the award. I have a bracelet that says, no zero days. So I I was just so happy that I finished and that I did everything. And the trainer, when he gave me the award, he took me by the shoulders and he goes, you are an athlete, Beth. So I was very proud. Oh, that's amazing. You know, we're we're wrapping
2: up because we're very respectful of your time, but there is so much more to know and learn from Beth and about Beth that um, we're only going to do one fun fact today. And that fun fact is about Beth and her social media. She has 352 videos on YouTube, 1246 posts on Instagram. She's everywhere on social and has different ideas on how to use social for all sorts of different things related to prospecting or networking or learning about how to invest in real estate so please follow her all you have to do is google her because she has succeeded in addition to being an athlete she is everywhere and it's you know everybody knows beth so thank you so much beth for joining us and congratulations on completing that just any physical challenge, but an extremely challenging one. Is there any challenge you want to leave our listeners with?
0: Well, first of all, thank you all for also introducing me as a mom at the beginning of the show, because that's my most important job is being a mom of two boys. I'm a mom boy, boy mom. So I love that. My challenge is just if you are a woman watching, think about investing in real estate other than the stock market. If you are a man and you have a woman in your life, encourage them to think about investing in real estate, especially most of your followers or many of your followers are in the business. This is legal insider trading, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. So take advantage of that. The wisdom that you are learning and that you are doing every day, help it add to your family's wealth. That's perfect. That's lovely. Thank you
1: so much. What a way Look to forward end it. to seeing you in March, if not before. Absolutely. Thank you, Beth. Thanks,
0: guys. Thanks for having me.
1: It's our pleasure. Thank you for being here. This is just uh, amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, the amazing Beth Azor. I <laughs> <laughs> it's deserving of a clap for sure.